Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, June 30th, 2016. Eighth anniversary of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Yeah, that's right. We've been broadcasting continuously now for eight years with kind of a long month of June where things were a little sketchy. But it's good to be back. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are preaching in the name of God to the, well, to the Word of God. No shortage of really bizarre things being said out there. We open up God's Word and compare with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, Conference speakers, authors, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose videos we need to be sharing on social media and stuff like that. Uh, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says when we use sound biblical hermeneutics, proper exegesis, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture. Yeah, Jesus taught that. And uh, over and again, we find that, well, there's a lot of Bible twisting going on out there. There's a lot of innovating going on out there. There's a lot of theological creativity going on out there and less and less biblical fidelity. That's a problem. All right. So, month of June has been. Uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of vacation time. I had a well, a church convention I needed to go to. I've been doing a little bit of traveling, and uh, I feel like I've been all over the Midwest. Haven't spent a lot of time in my bed, and I'm so glad to be home. Although I got to tell you, I feel like I, yeah, I, 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 I feel like I'm fighting something. I feel like I'm not quite myself. We'll see how that develops. Anyway, so <clears throat> today is our eighth anniversary of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That's right. Eight years ago today, we launched Pirate Christian Radio, brought back issues, etc. from the dead, and uh, it has been a very busy and fantastic eight years, and amazing to see what God's Word has done in all of that, and so want to thank you. Thank you for making it possible for us to be on the air and to do what it is that we do here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. We truly cannot do it without you. 
All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, that's right. We're taking the Aletheia, the HMS Aletheia, out and getting her back out to sea. (laughs) Man, I tell you, that ship, you know, starts to get antsy, you know, when we bring her into port and keep her in dry dock, you know, know, well, we fit her during those times. But anyway, um, I don't know if you've noticed this uh, while I was gone uh, and the big headline uh, with the uh, British, uh, the the United Kingdom leaving the European U- Union. Um, well, apparently all the prophecy folks have just gone bonkers regarding that. In fact, somebody took me to task on my Facebook wall today when I pointed out that the Bible doesn't say nothing. Don't say nothing nowhere about the Brexit. Yeah, the British exit from the EU. Yeah, yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about it anywhere, but somebody said, no, it really does, it does. Then I said, chapter and verse, but it does, it does, it really, <laughs> no, really, it doesn't. You know, you want to know the, the eschatological significance of the Brexit? Yeah, the, the, the Bible doesn't mention it. Right, uh-huh, yeah. It's it's right up there. The eschatological importance of the Brexit is right up there with the War of Roses. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't recall that ever being mentioned in the Bible. Bingo. You got it. All right. So we're going to uh, check in with William Tapley today because, you know, William Tapley is the man to go to to give you the prophetic skinny on any particular major news story. We'll check in with his latest video titled Brexit Babylon Exits the Beast and see if we can make any biblical sense of it. And then we're going to head over to Glory of Zion for another Prophecy Open Mic. And you know, what a, what better way to celebrate eight years broadcasting than do some Prophecy Open Mic. Then we will listen to... I'm just looking at my notes here. It's just absurd what this is titled. We're going to listen to the self-appointed apostolate Colette Toach as she teaches us the all-important biblical doctrine about spiritual birthing. I <laughs> and I don't have anyone else to blame. I mean, it was I'm the one who put that into the mix today. Anyway, and then we'll end up hour number one by doing an extended Brian Houston update as we listen to his teaching entitled Leaving Struggle Street. Yeah, apparently uh, Christianity is all about teaching you important principles and, you know, things that you can apply from the Bible so that you can leave Struggle Street. I'm not sure where the Bible teaches that, but I'm sure Brian Houston, I mean, being the orthodox guy that he is, will be able to just back this up with sound biblical exegesis and stuff. And then in hour number two, kind of a sneaky uh, sermon review, we're going to be listening to a sermon by Rob Winkler of Calvary Church in Naperville, Indiana. Uh, the sermon series is Missio Dei, and the sermon we'll be listening to is titled Mission Possible. Mission Possible. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I uh, strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground to cover. So uh, since we're going to begin with a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and co-prophet of the End Times update, that requires us to do this. (laughs) 
coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Come. That's right. Doom and gloom coming soon. And, uh, well, William Tapley, being who William Tapley is, he's Johnny on the spot. And if you've been sitting there, well, unable to sleep at night, worried about the eschatological significance of the Brexit, well, don't worry. You can sleep well tonight after hearing William Tapley explain to us the real biblical and prophetic significance of the Brexit. Here's William Tapley to explain. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the co-prophet of these end times. The news this morning is all about Brexit. That is Britain exiting the European Union. And that's all that ABC, CBS, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, and all the rest are talking about. But, of course, all you will get from them is Satan's viewpoint. And he wants to hide the truth. He wants to obfuscate the news. He does not want to tell you what is really going on. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, you know, William Tapley, being the servant of God that he is, you know, co-prophet of the end times and all, he's going he's gonna to give you the truth. He's going to give you the biblical truth. He's not going to give you Satan's viewpoint like abc and nbc and cbs in order to know what's really going on you have to understand bible prophecy and you my subscribers do understand and i got a very interesting note this morning from victor Yu. i want to read this for you because he doesn't need the alphabet networks to know what's going on in the world today he knows brexit ahead of time greetings mr tampley is the brexit significant Absolutely, Victor, you are correct. I remember you said the U.S., Britain, and Russia will be destroyed in World War III. Which, if you've been listening to Fighting for the Faith for any length of time, kind of like a long time, then you would know that William Tapley declared that World War III began years ago with some kind of incident with North Korea. Mm Mm-hmm. We've been in the throes of World War III now going on, what, five, six years, you know? And understand, was Britain getting destroyed? I thought, I thought since they're in the European Union, surely their allies will rise up and protect them. With Britain leaving the EU, does that set the stage for all this? I believe you are right. And even the... British Prime Minister David Cameron says... You know, uh, Mr. Third Eagle, um, the email that you read, he was asking you questions. He wasn't actually making statements. And for you to sit there and read a question and then say to the guy asking the question, you are absolutely right, I mean, is, well, confusing, right? If I were to say to you, William Tapley... Is the sky purple? 
and then you said, you are absolutely right, I would, well, I would be confused. Brexit will mean World War III, and I'm not sure he knows Bible prophecy, but he is correct. I assume the rest of Europe will be reluctant to join a war to protect a non-member state. And the vote to leave was confirmed on 623. Okay. 23 signifies the beast. Very good, Victor. God bless and have a good day, sir. Okay, Victor, let's take a look at this from the perspective of Bible prophecy. As you said, yeah, let, let, let's do that. That would require us to open up a Bible. First of all, 23 is a number of the Antichrist. Two before three or over three signifies man over God, and it yields the fraction 0.666. So we right. So the fact that it happened on June 23rd, 666. Got it. That is significant. Most people haven't a clue as to the whore of Babylon or the scarlet beast. Who do they represent? Now, the false Protestant prophets will tell you that anything bad in the Bible represents the Roman Catholic Church. That is their whole hermeneutical system. Of course, that is nonsense. And they lead an awful lot of people astray, which is exactly Satan's goal. Now, the whore of Babylon represents Britain and America. That is the reason for Brexit. Britain had to get out of the EU because the EU represents the ten horns on the Scarlet Beast. And the Babylon and the Beast are continually at odds. How does the EU represent the ten horns on the Scarlet Beast when there were, what, 24-ish, you know, more than 20 members of the EU? I'm a little confused here each other, very much like in Daniel. The struggle between the ram and the goat, they signify the same thing. The two horns on the ram, they signify Britain and America. One is smaller and older than the other, that's Britain. One is taller and newer, that's the United States. The single horn on the goat, that represents Russia. And the scarlet beast and the goat will defeat the whore of Babylon and the ram. And I've explained this. Well, I'm glad you finally cleared that up for us many many times on here for more than eight years and if you want to understand bible prophecy then you will also know how to defeat the one world communist tyranny which is the same as the feet of iron and tin on the uh, statue of nebuchadnezzar and don't forget the seven hills that the whore babylon sits on those hills belong to the scarlet beast and the reason is because the one world communist tyranny following the nuclear exchange between the ram and the gold will move from Moscow to Rome. The false prophets also like to tell you that the one world tyranny is centered in New York or Washington, D.C. That is false. It is centered in Moscow. It will eventually go to Rome. And Mary prophesied this 150 years ago to the... Uh, um, what? <laughs> Um, Mary has been dead for almost two millennia. She ain't doing no prophesying. Shepherd children, Melanie Calvat and Maximum Giro, she told them Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. And Mary also has the solution to the problem. And as I have also been telling you this for eight years here on YouTube, and you will never get it from the Alphabet Networks, and that is that 
Mary's rosary is the weapon Jesus will use to defeat the Antichrist. I know most of you will not understand that. Un- yeah, it doesn't make us, well, doesn't make a lick of sense, yeah. Although the nuclear fires break out. Then in desperation, you will take up the weapons that will win the war. It is better to be familiar with your weapons before you go into battle. Any Right, so um, holy hand grenade and... Mary's rosary, you know, for those of you stocking up. I will tell you that. And Mary is our 12-star general. And if you would like more information about my ministry, visit... <laughs> he thinks he's uh, doing ministry work. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> the ministry of confusion is, I think, the best way to put that. So there you go. I mean, if you've been looking for, you know, and trying to figure out the prophetic eschatological significance of the Brexit, well, there you go. So you might want to stock up on rosaries because yeah, that's the only way to survive. <laughs> you know, I just wish I could, could. I can't make this stuff up. It's just so bizarre. Moving along. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. That's uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda, and uh, we're heading over to Glory of Zion out there in Texas, uh, where the Apostle, uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah, notice the incredulity in my voice, the Apostle, <laughs> uh, Chuck Pierce uh, holds court as uh, they perform Prophecy Open Mic, and this was from June 26th, the name of the prophecy on their website is titled... New measured boundaries. So, I mean, this is like the freshest of the fresh prophecies coming right from, you know, God, the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Yeah, she ain't saying nothing there. That that ain't no language. Here's Chuck Pierce to uh, swoop, swoop in and interpret. I say to you, put a stretch out your hand, for there is a new cord of measurement that I am putting in your hand. Uh-huh. So stretch out your hand. New court of measurement coming. Yeah, that'll be helpful. I say to you, you have measured one way the boundaries for your life, but now I'm measuring another way, saith the Lord. I say to you, I am 
that will set a new a new course for the direction that I have for you. And the Lord says that many of you had words ten years ago, and you saw that word come to be, but it took ages and ages and ages. And the Lord says, "This is the day." Yeah, have you ever stopped to think just how? terrible and binding and you know disruptive all these false prophecies are on people especially if you have somebody like chuck pierce or one of his so-called you know prophets prophesying over you and giving you a very specific revelation you know you're going to become this that or the other thing oh you're going to be a mighty warrior you're going to be somebody who smuggles bibles into yeah you kind of get the idea um, all of this is utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense, and it ends up binding people in quite a terrible way. And, uh, you know, it's it's quite oppressive. So here you've got this lady talking about, no, you, you may have heard a prophecy spoken over you 10 years ago, and it just took forever for it to actually come to pass. Yeah, the reason for that is quite simple. It wasn't a biblical prophecy. And I am speeding up my anointing. Step into the boldness, would you? My strength, and in that timing, and in that stepping, you will see doors open that have been closed to you for, for years. The Lord says, I am, I am the one going before you to open the doors. So be bold. Be, be bold. Open the doors. None of this makes any sense. Strong, for I have called you in this season to rise up as warriors in my kingdom. Pamela. Express this and dance. James, lead us. Yeah, quick. Do, do a dance that prophetically expresses all of this. What? All right. So some lady's right in the center of the stage, and she's going bonkers here. Would somebody please interpret that dance for me? What kind of self-serving prayer is that?
I apologize for any of you who today will be singing that at work. Oh, eternal Lord, enlarge me, Lord. For that cord uh, that I am putting in your hand, he said it is like those that have been snakes around you. You will reach down and pick it up and it becomes your new rod of authority. Okay, so your snake cord, you'll pick it up and it'll become your rod of authority. Now, that doesn't sound satanic at all. Stretch beyond what you've known. And here's what the Lord spoke to me when Jessica gave that message in tongue. Now, I want you to listen. All right, so you got an interpretation for us. Okay. He said, I am releasing an angel called Sweeper. An angel called Sweeper. Okay. And it will come in and it will sweep out everything that you choose not to let go of this season. So whatever you choose not to let go of, Sweeper's going to swoop in and sweep it away. Uh Uh-huh. And when it comes in, if you don't let go, you'll go out with it. Uh-oh, you'll get swept away if you don't let go of it. So everything you've got, you you got to let it go, man. Otherwise, Sweeper's going to sweep it away. And if you try to hang on to it, you know, you'll get put out on the curb with the trash, you know. Because I am a God that has come this season to bring to my word let go let go let go let it go let it go because truly sweeper has come to clean the house to make room for harvest who is bringing them in in my holy name Yeah, you said that in God's holy name, and there was nothing holy about what you said. What you said was absolute nonsense. Well, there you go. You know, the the things over there at uh, Glory of Zion haven't, well, improved one bit. Uh, Sweepers coming, you know, so make sure you let go of everything, because, you know, when he arrives, you don't want to be swept out with, because, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Call me old-fashioned. I'm just going to stick with the written word of God. That I know is from God. This other stuff, I yeah, there's no reason whatsoever to believe that's from God or from Jesus or from the Holy Spirit. These people are whew, majorly deceived. Pray for them. All right, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on... This edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we've got Colette Toach talking about spiritual birthing and Brian Houston on leaving Struggle Street. Stay tuned, don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're 
listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. 
down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that people who cannot back their doctrine up with sound biblical exegesis are teaching false doctrines. That's a good thing. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank. Your rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's made after that at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner, $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Supporting us this way is a great way to support us. It helps, you know, have us, gives us a good financial foundation uh, to be able to do what we are doing so that we can properly budget and plan our expenses and our growth and things like that. And of course, if you would like to make a one time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344. Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, uh, we've got a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. That requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. We're going to be heading out to the ministerial headquarters of the Apostolette. Colette Toach, as she explains to us that all-important doctrine of spiritual birthing. Now, here's kind of the obvious question I think we need to have answered, and that is is that if spiritual birthing were really a vital Christian doctrine, then don't you think the Bible would have like major passages that explain the importances and the how-tos of how to engage in, first of all, spiritual conception that then leads to spiritual gestation, 
and then ultimately to spiritual birthing. I mean, since there seems to be a supreme lack of biblical texts that teach anything about spiritual birthing, I am shocked that there is even a video on YouTube from a place calling itself a Christian ministry talking about and promoting the concept of spiritual birthing. I'm a little bit at a loss here, but I'll let Colette Toach explain. Here we go. Spiritual birthing, decree, prophecy. These words are thrown around the church and certainly the prophetic realm, left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah, they are, and you just contributed by throwing them around. But as I came to the Lord to discuss the subject specifically of spiritual birthing, because it's a, a subject that I haven't gone into into a lot of detail in our prophetic courses, because uh, silly me, I assume prophets knew what that was. Uh, yeah, see, I'm having a problem here. If spiritual birthing were really a thing in the Bible, we'd be able to just go right to those texts that talk about it. You know, so here you are talking about how spiritual birthing is a term kicked around in the prophetic realm and uh and you know, left, right and center as you pointed out and and yet there's a lot of people who just don't quite get it. Uh-huh. Right. That's like saying there's a bunch of Christians running around, never even heard of Jesus, you know? That doesn't make any sense. It is more natural to the prophet than anything else. And in fact, you have been part of this process more than you realize. And as I... I I've been part of the spiritual birthing process more than I realize. Man, I wonder if I have spiritual stretch marks and didn't even know it. It for you this morning, you're going to understand a little bit more of the authority yeah. that God has given us in the church. Okay. If you've read any of my books, you would have heard the same line over. No, I haven't read a single one of them. Gladly, happily, I'm able to say that. And over and over, just because you can prophesy and flow in the gifts doesn't mean that you're a prophet. I labor the points to exist. <laughs> I mean, this woman is intense, clearly. Uh, but if, so, if you can prophesy and flow in the prophetic gifts, that doesn't make you a prophet. Okay. But yet, it still seems to me that nobody gets this principle. Right. Probably because you made it up. There's so much more to being a prophet in the kingdom of God than standing up and blabbing your mouth with a bunch of words. Right, so much more than that. Yeah, you, you got to, you know, get on the spiritual birth stool and do some spiritual birthing, you know. Every believer should be able to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. So why is the prophetic ministry specifically one of the leadership? Even when we're given the list of the fivefold ministry, prophet and apostle are listed by the top. Now, can we be a bit real about what we're seeing in the prophetic movement? Take a typical prophet and tell me, does this look like somebody that should be leading the church? Yeah, typical apostolate too. Yeah, no, it doesn't look like anybody who should be leading the church at all. doesn't even sound like anybody who should be leading the church. sounds like somebody who's still like, Totally biblically illiterate and just making stuff up, if you ask me. But Does this look like somebody who has a sane mind? <laughs> Does it look like somebody you want to model yourself after? Uh, 
um, well, you would definitely be one of the people I would never want to model myself after. Come now. Can we be honest? I mean, I can say it because I am a prophet. Uh, no, you ain't. Because we've gotten so carried away with the externals and the, the going out there and showing people what we're so capable of that we've forgotten our position in the body of Christ, the power, the authority. The power. You sound like Darth Vader here. The leadership that Christ, Christ has placed on our shoulders. And today, yes, I am calling you to accountability. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, she's just like, you know, a general out there working the troops up, getting them ready for battle, you know. The fluff, the shaking, the dancing, the tremoring, the violent spasms behind the pulpit have got to stop. Right on. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine that Miriam jerked her head off as she was going up the mountain singing praises as the people followed her. It's about we time we take this calling seriously and do what God has sent us in this earth to do. Because while we're busy quivering and shaking and glory hallelujahing up there and making a show, we are forgetting that we have been called to birth the will of God into this earth. Um, what? Um... Clearly, I'm missing something. Um, I'm supposed to birth the will of God into the earth. Yeah, I missed that one in the Bible. I'm not quite sure where she's getting that from. But then again, you know, she is a prophet. So she's probably got all this extra revelation that we just can't find in the Bible, you know. Birth is a natural order of things. If Well, here among, you know, animals and humans, yeah. Anything is to come to pass in this earth, whether natural or spiritual, it has to be birthed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, where, again, do you see the parallel between natural birth and spiritual birth? Do you have a biblical chapter and verse for this? A baby has to be birthed from a womb. A well, yeah, that's generally how that goes. Seed. Consider something as simple as a flower right. has to be burst from an embryo in a seed. Okay. Even when we get born again, what is it called? The new birth. You are born again. And as God came to speak to me about the subject of spiritual birthing, he said, Colette, it is the natural order of things. Oh, uh, he did. He's just... Were you having Starbucks at the time? Do they have Starbucks wherever you're at? I mean, did you... <laughs> so, you know, I mean, she's got a South African accent. So, you know... Yeah, I don't know if they have Starbucks. I'm assuming they do. I think Starbucks has taken over the world. So you were sitting across from God and God said, Colette, you know... Yes, let me stir some sugar into my coffee. You know, Colette, the uh, you know the, the the natural order of things involves you know gestation and birth, and it's the same in the supernatural. I know, I forgot to leave put that in the Bible, but I'm telling you yeah, while having coffee with you. Uh huh. This is what I do to bring things to pass in the earth, whether natural or spiritual. Jesus did not just get dropped on the earth full grown no 
he 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 was born yeah Jesus was birthed through the pain of labor into the earth Every prophet was birthed every move of God was birthed we read about Daniel how he travailed and birthed until the angel came with the message um yeah i don't think the word birthed appears in the book of daniel you're kind of putting that one in there yeah he he did suffer in prayer and you know in you know and was very upset in his mind doesn't say anything about him birthing though there is nothing that can be done in this earth without some form of birth whether it is a little baby animal Wow, look at that. It looks like a serpent's egg and oh, it's cracking open. Oh, look, a little heresy is being birthed right now here on Fighting for the Faith. It's so cute but deadly looking. Oh, and it has Colette's eyes. Oh, isn't that just cute? Or as so much as simple as a blade of grass. It needs the birth process to come to pass. Now, my message on music. Now, notice here. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point. Yeah, pun intended. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you'll notice that she really didn't actually go to any biblical texts. Nope. Just kind of pointed out. Well, here on planet Earth, you know, if things have to be birthed, and so. Hey, the spiritual's got to be birthed too, so you better get birthing, you know. Uh, no biblical text to back up this little heresy of hers. She just made it up, oh, and claimed that God is the one who revealed it directly to her, which explains why she's so confident about this, and yet it can't be found in the Bible. So, um, weird, it's strange, you know, we've got doctrines without actual biblical text. How do you pull that off? I don't know, uh... Colette clearly has birthed something here, and it's not Orthodox Christian doctrine. That's for sure. All right, I think you get the point. Moving along, Hillsong update. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires Wave your donations in the air We've replaced our hymns with ATMs And soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for His cash flow Stop the Sermon on the Mount, He should have had a bank account Two thousand years with interest He'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD. Just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Moolah. Solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid people. Well, Hillsong never said it should be free. They uh, make 
quite a lot of money. So uh, we're heading over to Hillsong as we listen to Brian Houston and his, um, well, one of his recent sermons titled Leaving Struggle Street. And I'm just, you know, thinking, okay, which biblical text talks about if I apply myself to certain things, I can somehow or another leave Struggle Street? Hmm, you know, it just seems to not make any sense at all. But, uh, well, here's Brian Houston. See if he can back this up with Scripture. Here we go. Leaving Struggle Street. It's amazing how we can always be living our lives battling and struggling and never getting the breakthrough. And maybe it's kind of what you inherited from your parents and then from the- Never getting the breakthrough. Where does the Bible promise that in this life we're going to have, well, the promise of breakthrough? Parents, and we've always been blue collar, we've always been working class. And I tell you, God's not into class, God's just a lover of people. people- uh huh. So apparently, God wants all of his Christians to be in the upper class financially. Hmm. I don't recall a biblical text that says that. In fact, uh, scripture does say that, well, it's difficult for the rich to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, there are Christians from across the classes, including slaves, uh-huh, you know, to people who are in poverty, those in the middle class and the upper class. Yeah, it so should we assume that the person who is a slave or is in uh poverty is somehow cursed from God and they're just not having the fullness of what God promises? Hmm. Of all walks of life and people from the faceless to the famous. And so it's not a matter of class, but it is a matter of being released into all that God called you to do. I don't believe... Released into all that God has called you to Apparently God wants everybody to be rich. Hang on a second here. You smell that? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of hint of sulfur there, but I'm smelling the prosperity heresy. God saved you to frustrate you. He saved you to bless you. And I believe to see that blessing in every area of your life, spiritually, in your spiritual life, in your soul, your inner well-being, and in your physical well-being as well. And I don't believe it's the will of God for anyone to go through life battling and struggling and never getting ahead and feeling like you can't provide properly for your children. I believe God... Did you hear what he said? I believe it's not God's will that anybody should. Huh. Again, where does God promise when it comes to our finances? No struggling, no difficulties, always. Yeah, boy, this is wow. Genuinely wants to bless people. And maybe you're a person who really genuinely tries to put God first. You're tired, you honor God with your finances. You try very hard to do the right thing. And yet you still feel like you're struggling. Why would- right. Yeah. How could that be? I mean... You know, places like Hillsong teaches that God's going to bless you if you, you know, faithfully tithe. I thought that was all that was necessary. Please make your check payable to Brian Houston, care of Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. Uh Uh-huh. Be when there's such promise for those who honor God with their finances. Why would it be? Is it possible that maybe we're doing the right thing with one hand, but what we're doing on the one hand through lack of knowledge or lack of understanding or lack of wisdom, we're seeing it pulled down again with the other hand? Right. You see, so if you've been attending Hillsong for any length of time and, well, your bank account isn't any better than it was. In fact, it may actually be worse than when you before you started going to Hillsong because 
they falsely teach that Christians are under the old covenant uh, commandment to tithe, and they're not. Uh, so you might actually have way less now that you've been attending Hillsong than when you first arrived. And so you're sitting there, and they're telling you, you'll, you, God's going to throw open the windows of heaven and, and bless you. And he's going to, you know, that every dollar that you send them, God is going to increase it a hundredfold and nonsense like this, right? And you're waiting, you're waiting, you know, it's like, I, I keep writing the check every week, God, um, when does my bank account get to start becoming large, you know? And uh, Brian Houston is now saying, well, you know, could it be? Could it be? Notice he's not making any, you know, direct statements. It's just he's musing, you know. Could it be? Could it be? That maybe, yeah, you're tithing and you should always be doing that. Uh, but could it be that m maybe you're just not applying wisdom? Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Well, why didn't you tell me ahead of time? Okay, he, you know, could you like put this into a, a brochure or a flyer or something, you know, so I can stick this in my Bible, you know, Hillsong seven biblical techniques and methods so that you can, well, be successful and prosper. Uh, number one, tithe. Number two, tithe even more. Number three, uh, offer offerings on top of the tithe. And uh, and number four, you might want to apply wisdom. Number five, you might want to cut up your credit cards. Number six, you you might want to uh, send out your resume and see if you can get a a better job than what you have. You know things like that. You know. Uh -huh. Ask someone what's their greatest lack, and I'm talking specifically tonight uh, about finances. But maybe you think, well, my biggest lack is people, people who will just stand with me. Or maybe it's investors or cash flow or capital or. <laughs> really, Jesus is going to give the solution to those who are suffering from lack of capital and poor cash flow. I, I had no idea. I, I, I just, you know, I, I've read the Bible so many times I must have forgotten where that is in scripture yeah it's as if the greatest thing that they're lacking over there at hillsong is like sound biblical teaching based upon clear texts in context you know just saying there they, they may be suffering from a famine of the word there at uh hillsong experiencing extreme lack uh due to their lack of wisdom when it comes to actually paying attention to what the word of god says but, uh, yeah, so we got a problem here. And notice he's doing the same thing Colette Toach did. Uh, you know, she's just musing. She's just, you know, giving us her ideas and opinions and not actually going, you know, to the biblical texts that clearly say that God wants to, you know, fix your cash flow problems. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is quite simple. That biblical text doesn't exist. It's collateral. Maybe in actual fact, you just lack opportunity. Maybe you even lack a job. But can I tell you, none of those things are your biggest lack tonight. All right, yeah. Your greatest lack often is wisdom. Right. If you just had wisdom, you know, godly wisdom, then your cash flow problems would, you know, just whoosh, disappear. Do you have money problems or do you have wisdom problems? A lot of people, maybe they feel like they have leadership lacks, but I think often it's wisdom lacks. 
Is it a marriage problem or is it simply a wisdom problem? Godly wisdom in the relationship could mean that maybe all those problems would go away. Never underestimate the importance of wisdom. And j- right, yeah, you you know you can't expect to solve your cash flow problems and you know have lack of lack if you're not applying wisdom and you know seeking after wisdom. Right, yeah, that's what's missing. Chapter 1, verse 5. I've been speaking from the book of James. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us where to go if we lack wisdom. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That word reproach means... Yeah, um, James 1 does say that if we lack wisdom, that we should ask God for that. No doubt about it. I mean, that's clearly what... James says, but let let me kind of rephrase this a little bit here. Does James, the epistle of James, you know, teach that if you're having cash flow problems, experiencing, you know, financial lack that, uh, you know, that ask God for wisdom so that he'll make you succeed is, is that what's going on in James? So let me apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And let's take a look at what's going on in the epistle of James. James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Well, that's weird. Um, It's as if James is teaching the opposite of what Brian Houston's teaching. Anyway, so count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, uh, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. He's unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It flowers, its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, weird. You know, it's it's as if, well, Brian Houston didn't actually read the book of James. He was just hunting for verses that will expl- uh, help create a biblical explanation for why all these people who attend Hillsong are giving so much money and yet receiving so little back from God, which was promised to them. And so, you know, James, well, could it be, could it be, is it possible? What if the thing you're lacking is wisdom, right? See, James says, ask God for wisdom and you'll get it. <laughs> See, right. Yeah. He's pulling a fast one. Cause you, when you read James one and even the rest of James itself, it becomes patently clear that wealth is a snare and is not looked upon as the sure sign of God's blessing. Quite the opposite. We continue. 
fault finding. In other words, if you ask God, he's not going to come pointing the finger and pointing out why you're in the mess you're in and why you're always struggling. He's not going to find fault. No, he gives generously and without reproach. He's Yeah, uh, James 1 verse 5, uh, talking about receiving wisdom there from God is not in the context of receiving wisdom so that you can get out of financial lack. I'm going to point the finger he gives to those, the scripture says. It will be given to them. It will be given to you. So asking of God is such a good thing. Listen to this. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. But a lot of people, they're chasing riches. They want to get rich. You can try to get material things, but the Bible says that all you're getting should be pulled into one thing. Get wisdom with all you're getting, get understanding. If we trust God for godly wisdom and godly understanding, it's incredible how that can bring the blessing and promise of God into our lives. It's not Right, as soon as you start asking God for wisdom, then you'll start getting, you know... Financial blessing. Just don't ask for financial blessing all by itself. No, you're kind of missing steps here. First, you got to tithe. Then, then, then after you're done tithing, you got to ask God for wisdom. And then, when, then God will give you wisdom so that you'll succeed. <sighs> yeah. Um, wow. This is quite awful. God's will for you to live your entire life on Struggle Street. He wants you to leave Struggle Street and live where your life means that you can have the resource to do all that he's put in your heart to do. I have no doubt about it. Then why don't you just go to the biblical text that says that? Why are you not doing that? Well, the answer is quite obvious because there is no biblical text that says what he is saying. What he is saying is not in the scriptures. It's not biblical. He is teaching a form of the prosperity heresy. First you give your tithes, and then, you know, then after you're done with that, then, you know, you do the important thing and ask God for wisdom. Because once you got wisdom, then, you know, tithing and wisdom together will make it so that God will get you off a struggle street. Yeah, I mean... No point in going on. There's no way to redeem this message. It, this is just absolutely false teaching, scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear. And uh, this is an example of Brian Houston making merchandise of Christians. Uh, and the person who's gaining financially in all of this, yeah, Brian Houston. That's the person who's really gaining and doing well financially as a result of this. Not the people listening to it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review from Calvary Church in Naperville, Illinois, uh, titled Missio Dei, A Mission Possible. Sneaky uh, bad sermon. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? 
Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Anya's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. Number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Never reviewed a sermon from uh, this church, so they are new to our rotation. And this will be an example of kind of narcissistic hijacking of a historical narrative, this time from the book of Acts. But let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Calvary Christian Church, Naperville, Illinois. Rob Winkler presiding. Yep. We will be listening to a sermon uh, from the series titled Missio Dei. The name of the sermon in particular is Mission Possible. Mission Possible. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 1. And this, like I said, is going to be an example of narcissistic hijacking of the biblical text as if somehow the historical narrative is giving us a, well, um, (laughs) some kind of pattern that we should expect to see repeated in our own lives when it doesn't. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Rob Winkler and Mission Possible. It's been a good day already. I enjoyed all four seasons yesterday, didn't you? The wind comes, the wind goes. Uh, snow comes, it snows sideways, and it snows up and down, and then we get some sunshine. Uh, got uh, three holes of golf in, and then went snow skiing later. It's quite a day to be in uh, 
to be in Chicago. We're going to start a, uh, a new series today, just a two-parter in the book of Acts. Pastor and I are going to sort of tag team this. And, and really the book of Acts just begins to answer the what's next question. How many have ever had that in your life of what do we do now? What, what happens next? Uh, we've had the Easter moment. Uh, wasn't that a wonderful uh, weekend that we experienced together? The Easter, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Thousands of people uh, inter- uh, came together and many gave their hearts to the Lord for the first time. And, and it's always good to be refreshed. I love the good Friday service that we have together and, and enjoy the, the, the fellowship of communion together and then go into the Easter weekend. And, and it just reminds us that of who we are, right? Jesus Christ loved us so much that he came to this world. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. Jesus willingly gave up his life. And we, we get to play that out and witness that out uh, all through the, uh, the Easter weekend of the cross, the, the burial, and, and the resurrection. And so now we're going to move into the book of Acts for the next couple of weeks. And the book of Acts is just a continuation of the cross. It's, it's now what happens to us next as, as, as people. Easter answers that question of... Okay, did you... Catch that? That was the sneaky part right there. The book of Acts tells us what happens to us next. Um, In what sense are you talking? Because you're using a plural there as if somehow the book of Acts reveals, well, what we as 21st century Christians should expect next. Um, I'm a little confused by your language here, Rob. I'm a, I'm a born-again believer. I've confessed uh, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the book of Acts, as we get into this, will, will, will expose who we are together and what do we do together. Expose who we are together? Again, I'm, I'm not sure in what sense you're talking. We'll, we'll expose who we are together and what do we do together. The book of Acts is really the book of action. It's really the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the apostles being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to sort of dig into this. Two major themes that we're going to look at today. Two introductions in Acts chapter 1 and 2. One one would be the introduction of the Holy Spirit. It was promised and now we find that the Holy Spirit is actively involved in in the generation, the dispensation after, uh, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the second one is this thing called the church. We're going to look at both of those. So let's, uh, let's just start with the word of Scripture, and then I want to pray, and we'll get right into it. You ready for the word? Acts chapter 1-8. Acts chapter 1-8 says, says this. Go ahead and put that up, Matt. Or I've got it right, I've got it right here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's action steps in that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But you shall receive... There's action steps in that? Well, yeah, there were action steps in that given to the apostles. But action steps given to us? In what sense are we talking here? Now... The reason I keep asking these questions is because this is really confusing because he's including us in a way that doesn't really make any biblical sense at all. There's action steps for us. Okay, 
We continue. And see what happens. The result of, of Acts chapter 1-8. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, to delve into scripture. Father, I pray that you would increase our our knowledge. You would increase our learning about how involved you are in our lives and how involved we are with the gospel, with the mission, with the moving forward of your idea of saving the world of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. Now, Lord, I pray that you would arrest our hearts today as we pause to reflect on your goodness and see your hand move in our lives. Meet every need today according to your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's kind of jump into this. What we see now in Acts chapter 1, first one, it starts out this way. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of that all that Jesus both uh, began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself, Alive after his sufferings and many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Luke is writing this to his friend Theophilus and here's a continuation of what's taking place that Easter weekend. They've gone through that process of Jesus Christ going to the cross and, and the drama of that, the disciples being dispersed. And now notice how he described it. They have gone through that process. Apparently, we're going through this process, too. You'll see this as this unfolds. And the persecution that came, and, and then the cross, and, 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 and seeing him die, and, and then his burial. They went through that whole process, of, and then three days later, the, res- the, 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 the resurrection. And you see the, the power uh, of that whole moment. And he's, now he's writing what happens, what's happened uh, ongoing. Jesus is... Come back, he borrowed the tomb, now he's risen again, and he's walking among uh, his disciples, making himself real and revealing himself to the, to the disciples. And he's been around for uh, about 40 days, walking back and forth and teaching and, and being a part of this. So you've got to believe that the disciples now are wondering, what's going to happen now? And so Luke is writing this to, uh, to Theophilus, his friend, and and then we, we read some of this, and verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, he, he com- commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for truly John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, therefore, to, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, this is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts and to the ends of the, and the, ends of the earth. Now, I'm not going to fault him for the fact that he's actually reading a biblical text. This is very different than uh, what we've heard so far in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Colette Toach just, you know, uh, preaching what's coming to her own mind, preaching on, well, the fact that, you know, everything has a mommy or a daddy and has to be birthed. Therefore, we have to have spiritual birthing. Or Brian Houston, um, you know, just kind of making it up his own theology and then going and looking for verses to kind of back it up. 
So uh, what Rob Winkler is doing here, it, well, it's a good thing. He's attempting to exegete uh, Acts chapter 1. That is a commendable thing for him to be doing. But let's see if he actually is capable of understanding how to do that. What we have now is, is some direction. We have some direction now that Jesus is giving his disciples. They don't know that he's about to leave again. That would be a little confusing, I would guess, to them. I'm sure right now they're probably still in a sh- state of, of shock. How many of you might, might be in that, sta- that same state of shock? Just a little bit confused about... Um, how many of you might be in that same state of shock? Uh, <laughs> I, um, how am I supposed to have this state of shock? I wasn't there with these disciples at that time. I'm confused by the question. What happens next in life? That uh, he's been here and then he's gone. He, he was dead. He, was, he, he, he came back and he's been with us and, and now he's given this instruction. Now, what I want you to see is that I believe in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus kind of gives a mission statement, if you will, of what's ready to take place. He gives a mission statement of what's ready to take place. You do know this was written about events that occurred 2,000 years ago, right? If you're in that moment in your faith and saying, I wonder what I'm supposed to do next. Uh, I kind of know who I am, but what's the what's the next thing in in my life? And we see this in in uh, in in verse eight. No, we don't see. See, he's not paying attention. Um. I I wonder if this particular problem is caused by the erroneous belief that somehow there must be a personal application to every part of Scripture uh, in the sense of some kind of action step. So in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were waiting for the next thing. So have you found yourself in that time in your life when you're kind of wondering what's next? Well, here's the steps that these disciples went through in Acts chapter 1. So let's apply these steps to our lives during this time when we're still waiting for the next thing that we're supposed to be doing. And this is no way to read Scripture. This is a, a surefire formula for missing the whole point. Where, where Jesus says, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Yeah, and the church has had the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years now, um, there's no such thing as a baptized, penitent believer in Jesus Christ who trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins who isn't filled with and has the Holy Spirit. So no more waiting necessary. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is poured out freely on all who are brought to faith in Christ. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you kind of look at that as a mission statement, what you begin to realize is that Christ is defining next steps. Not next next steps for my life. What are you talking about? And what he is saying is, first of all, he commands them to to stay and to uh, to stay and wait in Jerusalem. So the first part of this mission, if we're going to sort of step into it, is that God is the God of authority of the next step. He... What? 
what are you talking about? I mean, if you really want to be literal on the application, maybe we should all fly to Jerusalem and wait for the day of Pentecost to be reenacted, you know? He's the God of authority of the next thing in our life. He's the God of authority of our action steps. God wants to be in the driver's seat of our life. God is God. This is most certainly true, but this is a bizarre twisting of this text. I haven't quite heard this one before. Now, that's kind of difficult, isn't it? How many of you know that, that there are times that we, we, may not be, uh, we may not be out of God's will, but we could be a little frustrated with his management? Anybody ever? Come on, come on. Let's get real for just a minute. You know, frustrated. What are you talking about? Where does it say the disciples were frustrated with Jesus's management? Frustrated with his management where you say, God, let's do it this way and let's do it this way. And what, and what Jesus says here is, I want you guys to know that we're, that, that I'm the head of, the head of this operation and you're to stay and wait in Jerusalem. Now they still have choice. They can go, they can, Peter's already gone back to fishing once they can do their own thing, but to be in God's will doing God's thing, they're commanded to stay and to wait. So God's part of this is that he is the author and the finisher of, uh, of the mission. He's the author and the finisher of the action steps that takes place as we move into the next things that, that the Lord has for us. Then we see that our part, in, and as we break down this scripture, our part or their part was to stay and wait. How many of you like that idea, stay and wait? So their part was stay and wait. So you got to do that too. You got to stay and wait. But I'm not in Jerusalem. What are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense at all. I sort of like uh, go and do. I don't know, type A kind of, uh, you know, after you're an adult, you sort of like to have control of your own life. You probably have never said this, but growing up, I can remember saying, I can't wait till I'm adult because I can do exactly what I want to do when I want to do it. Now, I didn't realize that a lot of decisions required money to make those kind of decisions something called a job, those kinds of things. But when you're young and you're trying to, to break out and, and be your own person, isn't that kind of what hits our, it hit our heart? Is that we sort of Yeah, this is not a parallel to when you're young and you're trying to break out with your own person. We sort of want to do what we want to do. Now, how do you know that staying and waiting is probably one of the worst things that God can say to us? Stay and wait. Wait for what? Stay why? Wait why? I'm ready to go and do. I know that we're a go-and-do people because I drive 59 every single day. I'm amazed that coming from about 127th all the way up here to the church, uh, there's always a car or two that feels like moving in and out of traffic is a great idea. And they're swerving in and out, and you're breaking in front of them. They're breaking because uh, they're right off in front of you, and you watch them how they cut off the, uh, the big semis that come through, and you're just thinking, someday. And what happens is, is we get to the, the light here on 87th and they're either one car in front of me or they're one car behind me or they're right beside me. I stayed in the same lane. I'm sorry, guys. I'm just a little old school. I know that I'm going to be turning left. So I get in that lane and I just follow the car in front of me and I watch the traffic as it comes and goes. Now, get this. I leave a little early, so I don't have to be in a rush. I know it's quite a concept, isn't it? And what does any of this have to do with Acts chapter 1? Answer, nothing at all.
We don't like to stay and wait. That whole idea of waiting and staying, wait for what? Stay for what? Why do we have to to do this? Well, in the staying and waiting, what we'll see is there's that moment of readiness and moment of preparation. God just doesn't want us to stay and wait for his next thing. He wants us to be prepared and ready in the process going to that next thing. Do you know that the Lord right now by the Holy Spirit is preparing us for something? Even though we're in something right now, and maybe that something is exciting and it's new in your life, or maybe it's a little mundane, or maybe the, the Lord's got you in a season of prayer. Maybe the Lord's got you in a season of, of contemplation and waiting and, 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 and resting in him. And there could be this nervous energy that says, we're ready to go, we're ready to go. But here's the deal. If we'll wait upon the Lord, we'll renew our strength. We'll mount up as wings as these eagles. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not faint. There's power. There's power in, prepa- in being prepared in the waiting. Yeah, this text isn't about that at all. And your cross-reference there is not actually helping because there is no application of this kind in this text for us at this time. I know that you don't like that, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it out loud. Their part at this particular time in the mission is to stay and wait. And then the Lord, uh, the, the, uh, Jesus introduces another concept of his part in, 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 uh, in, in chapter 8. But you shall receive, he says, you don't know the seasons and the times. And, and, they're, and they're talking through, what are we going to do in this, in this waiting period? And he says, for truly John baptized with water. But you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So God is revealing the additional part of his part. First of all, he has the authority. And secondly, he's going to provide the ability. The ability of next steps. Church, you're you're, you're not going to like this. The ability of next steps in our lives has very, very little to do with us. It has a lot to do with how we respond to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're not uh, handling this text right at all. None of these are valid implications or even applications of this text. The Holy Spirit is going to come on the planet now, and he is going to visit just one or two. He's not just going to visit Moses and leading the the people out of Egypt. He's not just going to visit Joshua or David or a few like he did in, in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is about to be poured out upon all flesh, about all the world, and we're going to, that's going to be the agent. That's going to be the, the fuel, the power, if you will, to move us into the great call, the great commission. Now, this shouldn't be a really surprise to, the, uh, to the, the, the disciples at this time because Jesus has already kind of given them a precursor of the Holy Spirit's coming. John chapter 7, verse around 37, I think, he says, you need to, to uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And the word says that he was talking about the Holy Spirit at that moment. He's already giving an idea of what's taking place. John 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says it's important for him to go and, and, uh, and, and that he'll come back and, and that he'll send the Holy Spirit. We won't be orphaned or uh, left to ourselves, but the Holy Spirit will come and he'll guide us in all truth. He'll convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit... What he's saying in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the Holy Spirit is going to be that, 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 that movement. The Holy Spirit is going to be the power behind the call of what's next. Well, that part is true. Yes, most certainly true. And what we need to realize is that's God's part. And we know that the only uh, what decision we make is how yielded we're going to be 
to the Holy Spirit. Uh, where does the Bible say that our part is deciding how yielded we're going to be to the Holy Spirit? I'm not familiar with that text at all, and it doesn't exist in Acts 1 at all either. You still there? So then we get our part again in, one, in, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, And then, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he just sort of blows up this whole idea of what's next. And what he's saying to his people is, we got plenty to do now. The cross wasn't the end. It was the beginning of us hitting, uh, of us getting into a, a, a different gear. It was the beginning of us getting involved in a world that is lost and hurting and dying with the message of hope and healing and the power of Jesus Christ. And you and I are going to get to do that through the disciples. He's saying, you're going to get to do this and you're going to do it not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you got this, right? Uh, God's part and our part. God's part was God's going to author the the idea and the plan, and he's going to provide the power and the fuel behind the plan, and we're going to provide the obedience and the staying and wait, and we're going to... We're going to provide the obedience and the staying and the wait. Again, this is not some command that somehow applies to us right now. I mean, I'm not going to look inside of my heart and say, am I staying and waiting enough to make sure that I can do my part? That's absurd provide the uh, the auxiliary hands and feet. We're going to go and do as as he prepares us to go and do. Everybody got that? So the disciples decide, okay, they've got this word now. Now what do you do? So what do you do when you get this word that says stay and wait? What do you do? I haven't received that word. Acts 1 is not somehow being played out right now in our lives. Do. Well, you stay and wait. So what they do is what is what uh, is what they're supposed to do. It says that they return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, uh, which is near Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they'd entered the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip, and all of them were there. And they all continued in verse 14. It says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They didn't really know what to do. They were told to stay and wait, so they walked back to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room, and they did what they normally do. What you see is uh, there's a moment of preparation now that takes place. And let me just say this. I believe the Scripture is telling us that God's next step, God's mission in our life, is to, first of all, clearly state the vision, clearly state the mission. What? Again, where are you getting this, that somehow this text is telling us that that God is ready to, well, tell us and clearly state the mission and the vision and stuff like that. Sounds to me like Calvary uh, Church in Naperville is one of these vision-casting churches, and they're twisting God's Word in order to manipulate people into believing that somehow this is a biblical teaching, doctrine, and practice when it isn't. I believe he's did, he has done that in Acts chapter 1. The next thing that I see here is that the mission, when clearly stated, is developed and nurtured in agreement and unity. You get what there's going on here? Acts chapter 1, verse 14, did you notice? They're all together in one co- in, in one accord. The word. Yeah, so if you're not united behind the visionary, you, you can't be a part of what it is that God wants to do next. Where it says, they're in one accord and they're doing, two, they're doing prayer and supplication. There's the women there and the Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers. and They're all there in one accord. God's mission is being developed under unity. So we've got the Holy Spirit that is coming. And the preparation 
during the staying and waiting is to do what? Is to align our hearts. It's to get our hearts right. You know, that's what God does with us week in and week So, yeah, apparently the disciples were really busy getting their hearts right so that the Holy Spirit would show up. Nope, that's not what the text says at all. Week out by the Holy Spirit. He is bringing his people together. How many other words says that God commands a blessing when his people dwell in unity? Anybody there this morning? God commands a blessing. You know what that means, right? He speaks forth under his own authority to be blessed. Where his people dwell in unity. God commands a blessing. So these guys are now, this is the same group, guys. This is the same group that couldn't get along. This is the same group. James and John were arguing who's going to be the greatest. They got their mom involved. This is that same group. This is the same group where Peter said, I won't deny you. I will never deny you. Only to find himself not denying him once, but three times and had to go through the whole series of restoration. This is that group. This is the group that Thomas said, I won't believe it until I'm involved in it, until I see his scars and I feel his scars and I sense his scars. I'm going to, I doubt this whole thing. I'm a big time skeptic. This is that group now, listen, that is all together and in prayer and in supplication. Because there are moments in the staying and waiting, in the confusion. Jesus has now ascended. In the moments in the staying and the waiting, in the confusion, and the heartache, and what is God doing, that's when he's putting us all together. See, if we're going and doing and trying to do it in our own strength, we never stop long enough to, to let the Holy Spirit begin to develop our heart for that next thing. Does that make sense? No, actually, it makes no exegetical sense whatsoever. What you're saying is not said or taught or even implied in the text that you're apparently exegeting. Unity is so important. And I'm not talking about uh, always being in the same opinion. You know, Ben Franklin said three people could have the same opinion if two of them were dead. So I get the fact that we're going to have different opinions. I mean, how many of you just had the same thing? The same thing for breakfast every day. I, I, I have a different appetite and opinion. There's times that Lynn and I are talking about where we're going to go to eat. We can't even agree after 35 years. We still can't even agree on where we're going to go eat. She wants lunch. I always want breakfast. She wants to go, you know, she doesn't like kicks as much as I like kicks. Chicken. No advertisement there. I'm just telling you I like kicks. There's not always going to be agreement. When we raised our children, there wasn't always agreement every day of our lives. But we had to find the spirit of unity. Does that make sense? The Bible tells us that if we're not unified as a husband and wife, then it could even hinder our prayers. So it was important that they were together. And you see the one accord. And even when you read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 there, you see a lot of all and each and every and one accord. And there's that system, there's that idea and that system of unity that's taking place in the fellowship. When I was growing up, I, uh, in school, I played football. I, I know it doesn't look like it, but it was a small school. They needed everybody. And I was quarterback because I was the dumb one of the group. We ran an offense that the quarterback got hit every single time. That's why they wanted me to be the quarterback, I'm sure. So we had done two-a-days and tired and working and, and uh, not having any fun. And all you do is hit each other. You know, you're just, you're playing against one another. And then you go to class and you try to get along. And then you put on your pads and then you hit each other again. And, and uh, it, you know, you just want to finally get out there and do something to somebody else. So we're playing our, our, our first preseason game. And, and we're not exactly prepared. 
I mean, the backs, uh, the running backs still don't know what the left side numbers are and the right side numbers. So, you know, if you're not, if you're, if you're, if you're not a sports guy, uh, don't, don't, don't get lost in this. But you know, when you, when you, when you're going to give the ball to somebody coming to your right and they go to your left, you've got a problem. I just want you to know there's a problem there. So we had a couple of those. We had a couple of receivers that ran down and out instead of curls. In other words, I'm going to throw it deep. I'm going to throw it short. They're going to go deep and there's nobody there. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you something on a personal e- egotistical level. It just makes the quarterback look bad. You don't get to call time out and say, let me explain to you what's going on here. These guys aren't doing their job. So sure enough, one time we got back in the huddle and, and I just decided I was going to let them have it. I said, guys, you are not doing your job. The line you're not blocking. The backs aren't opening up to the right side. The receivers aren't running the right route. There's nobody working on this huddle except me. I'm the only guy on this team that's getting the thing right, except me in the center. He gets me the ball, and then I get tackled. We've got to change this. And you guys got to do better. And I mean, there was a spirit of criticism. How do you know the Bible says it's better to sleep on the roof than to dwell in the house of a contentious person? Well, I had 10 guys ready to go sleep on the roof because I was contentious. We had disharmony in the huddle. Now, my brother was also on this team as a year younger, bigger, stronger, faster, meaner, tougher. I was, I got the brains and the looks. He got everything else. That's what you do when you have a brother. So he decides, being an all-state lineman, to look at the rest of the line. He goes... Hey, guys, just let the guys through. Don't block this time. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's coming, right? As soon as the ball is snapped, I've got 11 other jerseys on me. I mean, it's a bum rush to the quarterback. And their shoes flying, shoulder plaids being, you know, torn apart, helmets being turned around. And I get up and... uh I'm wondering what just happened. We go back to the huddle and my brother looks at me and says, so you think we're doing our job or you're not doing our job? Let me just tell you something. When you're not in harmony, it can be dangerous. When you're not in unity, it can be difficult. These guys all get together. Part of the miracle of Acts chapter 1 is you got a bunch of folks doing their own thing, all of a sudden coming all together. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses... uh, uh, one through uh, one through four, and the day of Pentecost had fully come. Look at this. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. Now, this is the Holy Spirit now that is being descended upon the earth. This is the moment the church is being born. We're going to talk about the church in just a minute. Don't get wrapped up in all of what's going on here, because I know where you're going with this. Those of you that are Pentecostal are saying, finally, he's going to get to something. Those of you that are not quite as Pentecostal are going, oh, no, here he goes. He's going to go nuts on us. Just stay with me for a minute, okay? Here's what happens. They're all together. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. Then suddenly a sound from heaven comes and a rushing, uh, as a rushing mighty wind, and it fills the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. I know it gets weird, but it's hang with me as a fire. And look at this. One set upon each of them. There's not the haves and the haves nots. There's not the sum and the parts. There's not, there's, 
all of them receive what the Lord has for them at this time. And they were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. I know they get strange, but that's what happened. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what we have now is the Holy Spirit that was promised that we talked about. And now we have the churches being born. And guess what happens? Everybody's involved. Why is that? Because they all got together to begin with. They're all praying together. Oh, so all the glory goes to them. It's because they got together. They got unified. They got right with God. They did all the steps necessary. And so God rewarded them with the Holy Spirit. Wrong. Jesus said, hang out in Jerusalem until I send. The reason why the Holy Spirit showed up is because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. They're all talking together. They're all worshiping together. Sure, they've got different ideas and different thoughts of their own people and their individuals. God doesn't save groups. He saves individuals. But when he saves all the individuals, there's a moment that he puts us all together and says, I've got something extraordinary for you guys to be about. And we see the, the whole work of the Holy Spirit now is being born and birthed into the world. And let me just help you with this. It's the same dispensation then as what we're living in today. This is the way we live out life. Guess what, church? It doesn't change. God didn't get more... This is the way we live out life? What are you talking about? ...sophisticated after Acts chapter 2. He didn't get smarter after Acts chapter 2. Omniscience didn't didn't all of a sudden take a break. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-assuming, all-virtuous, all-verass God who knew what he was doing at the very beginning poured out his spirit upon all flesh. And that moment is the moment that we still live in today. The Holy Spirit is the birth of the church. And when we come together, great and mighty things take place in our life. Uh huh. So if we come together in unity behind the vision that God gave our vision casting leader, then the Holy Spirit's going to do some amazing things in our life. That is not what Acts chapter 2 is teaching at all. So they were in unity. It was a togetherness. The Holy Spirit is there. And what we see here is that God's mission is truly powered by the Holy Spirit in cooperation with his people. Uh, again, the text doesn't say that. So apparently God, you know, powers the mission through the Holy Spirit in cooperation with his people. You're inserting things in the text that are not there. God works his power through the Holy Spirit in cooperation with the people. He didn't bring a whole other group of people in. Did you notice that? He used Simon Peter, the one who would betray him. He used James and John, the ones that were looking for the kingdom of Israel to be reestablished and they wanted to be president and vice president. He, he used Thomas, the one that doubted him. At the Hughes sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, getting ready to help them and encourage them to make some kind of a decision. Apparently the decision they need to make is to get behind the vision casting leader in unity and cooperate cooperate with what God wants to do. The very moment he used uh, his brothers who who didn't understand him. He used his mom was there. He used the people that were around him at that very beginning. He poured his spirit out upon all them. But that tells us that when God wants to use us, he can use us. If we'll stay together and connected. God's mission is a powered mission by the Holy Spirit. Well, you know that when the Holy Spirit shows up and God's people get involved, that the world is not going to have the same response as we have in church. How many of you have been in that moment where you experienced something in church, a revelation in church, and then you tried to export that at home or export that at your job? 
or export that somewhere else. You know, there was a, a healing or a transformation or how many of you know that times that maybe you had that moment where you walked through revelation and you forgave some people in your life. And then when you got back with them, you realize they didn't hear the same sermon. They're still angry. They're still upset. How many know that if you change your driving on 59, that everybody else isn't going to change their driving. They're just going to keep going about the world because the world will always be a little different than the church is supposed to be. So the Holy Spirit comes and Peter, who already has information, he was a zealot. He knew the things. He knew the Torah. He knew the law. He knew the process. He had heard the words of Jesus. He's got this information. But all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes, he gets a revelation. So the world says, hey, these guys are cray-cray. These guys have lost their minds. They're nuts. Or, or maybe even worse, they've fallen off the wagon. They're, they're drunk. And, and so they're, the world is trying to conceptualize the Holy Spirit and his church under the world. How many of you know the world's never going to get this? They're not supposed to. You've got the world here. And you've got the church that's separated from the world. It's supposed to be separated from the world, by the way. We are not of the world. We are in the world. So we're in it, but we're not of it. Does that make sense? So the world's here and the church is here. Well, the world continues to move away from the church. How many of you know that's, that's, that's just the truth? I'm not trying to, trying to make it up or be mad at the world. The, the world continues to move. If you don't believe that, just wait another five years and see what we're talking about. Just go back five years and see what we were talking about there. Go back 30 years and see what we were talking about. The world continues to move. It continues to move. If we're not careful, the church will move a little bit too. It'll still be separate from the world, but it'll be right here. What's going on in Acts chapter 2 is that God is, is snapping the plumb line. You get this? God is hitting the idea that this is the standard. This is the mission. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to move. God was snapping the plumb line and saying, this is the standard. What are you talking about? Forward in revelation from this moment on and you're not going to change. So the world is going to see this completely different than the church. Peter preaches a sermon. You guys got that, right? Peter preaches this sermon. He begins to interpret scripture. Signs and wonders begin to happen. What we need to realize is the church is born. Get down here to the scripture. Verse 40 of chapter 2 says, And with many wonders he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So you see this moment in Acts chapter 1 where God says by Jesus, you guys stay and wait. Prepare your hearts. I've got this. God said, I've got this. I've got the next steps. Well, God, are you going to be uh, restoring your Jesus? Are you going to be now restoring the kingdom and Israel? And, and are we going to get to finally have our cabinet spots? And are we going to finally have a position here and take on Rome? And he said, wait a minute. It's not for you to know those kind of things. Where's what you're supposed to do? Stay and wait. Stay and wait and prepare your hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit gets together with a whole group of people... He forms his church. God forms his church. And look at the result of this family. 3,000 people. 3,000 people who did not plan on getting saved that day. Confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because God's got a big mission for us. 
And he says, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the whole ends of the earth. It says, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. They continued to move forward. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. The mission of God was launched. Acts 2, 46 and 47. As we begin to think through now the existence of the church, the called out ones. I didn't give a lot of time to this, but pastor said this, I don't know, at least one million times. How many churches are there? You know why? Because of this right here. One church. One church that is born of the Spirit that follows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's one church. We're all part of that collective gathering of Acts chapter 2. That's who we are. That's our heritage. That's where we're from. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So what is the church? What is the church like? Well, let's just pick it up. They ate their food with gladness. There was a simple gladness in their heart. Were there tribulations and difficulties and challenges? We know there had to be. Some of them had to leave everything that they that they ever had known. Some of them were disowned by their family. Some of them were would later be persecuted. But at this moment, as they're being born into the church, into the kingdom of God, they eat their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They, they take the easy road. They, they're praising God even in the midst of their difficulty. And they have favor with all people. And the Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved. I'm going to make this a big commercial for the church. I'll just say that I believe the church, not Calvary Church, but the church, is kind of falling on hard times. We kind of have this idea that me and Jesus got a good thing going, and if everybody else would just leave me and Jesus alone, we'd just be fine. How many of you know, though, that the best work done in the kingdom, the best work done in each of our lives, is when we put each other together? When two or three are gathered together, agree as touching anything, there he's in the middle of that. A three-chord strand is hard to break. There's something about the work in Acts chapter 1 and 2 that creates this right here. Not this building, not this, uh, not this brick and mortar, but us collectively coming together. My prayer is that we would, as we close up this service, that we would yield ourselves once again to a fresh outpouring of His Spirit into our life. That we would find a place. We have to yield ourselves to a fresh outpouring. Uh, what? Place. To surrender our lives, just like the, just like those first disciples did, and allow God to do what He wants to do in our hearts, to empower us with the testimony, to empower us to, with revelation, to empower us with truth. You shall know the truth, and it shall make you free. And the second part of this would be that we would find that place again to enjoin our hearts with one another, and truly be the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. Folks, Jesus is coming back for his bride. His bride is the church. He's coming back for you and I. Christ is the head. We're the body. We're the hands and the feet. We're the ones that get the mission done under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. So in our conclusion, we're going to come up and, and sing a worship co- chorus. And I just want us to kind of circle our 
ourselves into our own heart for just a moment. Here are the two things that I want to challenge us with. I'm not going to have you come down, do anything, see anything, say anything, give anything, okay? I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to avail himself to us, that we would be filled once again, yielded, ready to receive all that he has for us. And that we would choose in simple faith just to walk in divine harmony as a church. Let's pray together. Done. So, yeah, you see what the problem was there? He hijacked the narrative, which is about the birth of the church, and inserted us into it by basically claiming that there's, well, there were steps that they did in order to have the Holy Spirit fall on the church. We need to follow those same same steps today if we want the Holy Spirit to fall on our church, and uh, we need to be yielded to the fresh whatever vision outpouring unity thingy that the uh, Holy Spirit is up to. But he didn't actually exegete the text. He hijacked it and stuck us right in the middle of it where we don't belong and then came up with a bunch of action items that we're supposed to be doing for the thing that supposed to that God wants to do right now, but we've got to follow the steps, you know, from Acts 1-2, you know, because, right. Yeah, I mean, it's true that the Holy Spirit um, came on that day, and that was the birth of the church. He got that part correct, but pretty much not anything else. And the reason for it's simple, because he's looking for the thing that we've got to do rather than the thing that Christ and God has done. Yeah, there's, there's, there are no action steps. We don't get to recreate the day of Pentecost through our yieldedness and our obedience and all of that kind of stuff. That's not what that text is about at all. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard. On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.